Welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, founder of the Crypto Gaming Institute, and I'm here to welcome you to the show, to the revolution, and to the metaverse. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the metaverse, welcome to another episode of the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. My name is Ben Gothard, your host, and welcome to another episode. Dr. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I am so glad as well. You have such an amazing history. I am not going to try to replicate that as a lot of hosts do. Instead, I'm going to ask you, what is your story? Well, uh, I kind of, my journey toward the metaverse started uh, in a revolution back in the 80s, uh, video game development revolution. I was actually a architecture major up at Berkeley and I was, uh, I'd gotten a personal computer, which were very rare back then. And I was developing some video games, mostly arcade style stuff. And I ended up getting a job for a company that had an office uh, that was recruiting, looking for programmers, and they uh, assumed maybe some people on campus would know how to do that stuff. It was very rare back then. And I ended up working for them. I ended up dropping out of school, uh, becoming a a full-time video game developer. I ended up uh, doing a number of different arcade ports uh, to the Apple II and Commodore 64. And uh, then I developed my own concept for a game. Uh, which became a, a huge game in the 80s, uh, one of the first really, really big RPGs, which was called The Bard's Tale. That ended up, uh, I ended up uh, working uh, for a company uh, back then called Interplay Productions, uh, and we worked together, we got this game out. Uh, it was released by Electronic Arts and became a huge hit in the 80s. And and really it's sort of the precursor for every big RPG, video game RPG and even MMORPGs of the last 30 years. So there were were a lot of uh, uh, original concepts in that that today are sort of commonplace in in RPGs, but uh, all of that just came out of the, the, the design and development process back in the day. So that's it. So that, I mean, that's, that's the first revolution I, I was in. And then that sort of across time leads me to this moment. And now I'm uh, jumping into another revolution, which is what's going on in crypto gaming and in the emergence of the metaverse. And, uh, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm in a very exciting, very similar kind of vibe uh, nowadays. And I've got a project rolling out and I'm, I'm here to talk to you about it. Uh, amazing. So I want to jump back into history and really like dive deep into that. And then I think that'll be a really interesting segue into then talking about what you're doing. And then uh, eventually we'll talk about uh, the metaverse as a whole. So in the beginning, um, how did you have this whole idea to pioneer RPGs? Because as we know, as we've seen in the history of gaming, which we're still, it's very nascent in and of itself, but how did you know that that was it? Like, how did that come to you? How did you create that? You know, I was a gamer when I was in high school. I played, you know, tabletop Dungeons and Dragons, and I was I was a I was a dungeon master. I uh, I I created things, and I, I so when computers first started rolling out, uh, the, my first thought was, man, maybe there's a way we can you know develop a game on this. It was just my interest, and I didn't recognize that gaming is really the way that you drive these kinds of revolutions that 
it, it's an easy way, an exciting way for people to connect with emerging technologies. And when you do that, you pull the technology along with you. And, but so to me, it just seemed like natural. Of course, people are going to want to play games. I wanted to play games. And uh, so I jumped into it. So I, I ended up, uh, there was a role-playing game back at the time. It was kind of a primitive um, first-person game called Wizardry. And I played that a lot back at the time that I was developing these arcade products. And uh, I, I loved it. And then as I was playing it, I thought, I, wait, I can do something like this only 100 times better. And that led into building a prototype for what ultimately uh, became called The Bard's Tale. So, so for me, it was just a transition from being a, a gamer, a, a Tolkien fanatic, a you know, Dungeons and Dra Dragons fanatic, and then seeing computers as sort of this um, emerging technology that would make all of that possible on a whole new level. Okay, I got to ask. What kind of uh, what kind of game master were you? Were you a benevolent or were you ruthless? I was benevolent. Yeah, I gave away a lot. I gave away too much gear. I actually played with some some people at the time who were like, "Dude, you're giving away too much gear." <laughs> I'm like, "That's the fun of this." I'm like, you know, so I don't want I don't want people to die. So I I made it. You know, I, it was for me. It was more about the story and just captivating people with the story. That's that's what I loved about it. Uh, you know, a lot of people complained about Bard's Tale 2 particularly being way too hard uh, a game to get through. And I, I didn't intend to do that. I think it was just a lack of play testing. I, I want people to get through the game and to enjoy it. I want it to be a challenge, but I want it to be beatable. Uh, and uh, and I was the same way back in, in Dungeons & Dragons. So, Well, that's that's good news. You know, as a, yeah. as a game influencer, it's, I think it's important to establish that early on. So... When you were really building this, I know I'm harping on this, but it's so critical. Like it, it, it gave birth to, I mean, so much of what we see now. Like it's so, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. So what specific aspects did you build in there or did you pioneer that we're now seeing the ripple effects of today is like, oh yeah, this is a cornerstone of gaming. Yeah. I think at that point there were a couple of things. I mean, it, uh, the a lot of the a lot of the fantasy gaming at that time were things like Ultima. It was sort of like a, a third person view on a on a small character, you know, with some terrain. And for me, I had a conception of no, this is really all about first person. You're you're the avatar. You're the character. You're in the middle of this. You're looking down the corridor just as if you were standing there. And I, the technology was so primitive at the time, there wasn't much that could be done with that. But I came up with a, uh, this is long before 3D algorithms. I mean, these, these systems were so underpowered, even compared to, I mean, this is, it had 64K of base memory in this, in this uh, computer. So what you could do is very simple, but I came up with this idea of um, sort of like the same way you would in a cartoon animation of doing frames, taking a some textures, uh, moving it built in like as if they were in three dimensions and then stepping them toward you uh, in it, it incrementally over, you know, a small delay so that it gave you the sense of when you clicked a button to move, you actually saw walls kind of, you know, seamlessly move around you, whether you're in a dungeon or a town or whatever. Nobody had done anything like that before. It was, it was a fake 3D effect and it was huge because it really gave this immersive effect, which is really what 
gaming, like in my view, uh, the, the, the most powerful part of gaming is pulling people into the game. So I did that. Some other ideas I had at the time, I had this uh, idea, I was doing some, I was designing some spells. And then uh, as I'm thinking of some of the spell casting, spell casting has always been the most uh, interesting part of um, fantasy role playing for me. I came up with this idea, hey, what if the people, the, the things that you're fighting, what if you could cast a spell that would cause them to join your group and fight with you against your opponents for some length of time, for some duration? And uh, I never seen anything like that, any idea like that. But I started thinking about it. I thought with the way the character stats work and the way my combat engine was working, I could just kind of leave an open. If you have an open slot in the group, you could bring over one of the monsters. As, uh, as so I came up with a mind control or a uh, also some spells for summoning, you know, demons and things like that that would actually fill gaps in your. Uh, in your group list and and could travel along with you so to the point where you kind of want to leave a slot or two open in the game so that you could do you kind of manufacture um, non-player characters who would you know be part of your group attack so the, and I'd never seen anything like this there was no pets or you know or mind control or anything like that in any games I was aware of at that time but it, it fit the um, the technology that I built and I just thought it'd be a great idea then the biggest thing I came up with was um, I built in some duration over time spell casting, uh, which seemed really intuitive for things like light spells and things like that. But then I thought of this idea of a duration over time spell that would be represented by background music. Uh, we had, um, I'd worked with the guy, Larry Holland up in Northern California. Um, and we had developed some video games where we ran a, some background music, which was actually very difficult to do on these early systems. But the, the, uh, the, even on an Apple II, which had no, there was no multi-threading or anything like that. So you just, you'd have to, um, you had a brief interrupt where you could hit a note. But if you did it correctly, you could actually have a background theme playing. And nobody had done anything like that. Uh, but we had developed that idea. So I, I suddenly thought, what if that was the representation of a spell was that, and so when the music stopped playing, you realize your spell ran out. So that led to the development of a bard character type who would play those kinds of spells in the game, which became uh, the most fascinating part of the game for, um, for people, which is where ultimately the name uh, became the Bard's Tale. That wasn't my name. Uh, it was just the name that emerged from the concept. So duration over times and uh, bringing non-player characters in uh, to be part of your party and uh, summoning things like that. That was all stuff that just kind of flowed out of um, the technology that I built. It just seemed a natural extension of it. And so today, yeah, today, you know, you, you couldn't, you can't even imagine RPGs without these things happening. I, that's so fascinating. I actually love the, the thing that I love the most is the idea of pets and bringing over the, uh, the NPCs to your side. Cause when I, I played a lot of wow growing up and I was a hunter. So I wanted to go out and like tame the most awesome rare beast that that I could find. But it seems like I couldn't have done that without the technology that you pioneered. I, I, I don't know, you know, because I, I, I was a hunter also in WoW and I, I uh, initially and uh, maybe, you know, maybe. Um, but uh, certainly that was just at that point, I'd not seen anything else, you know, similar to that. So uh when it when it came out uh, i mean a lot of people were were fascinated by that i that they just uh they that that just seemed like such a cool extra dimension to the game and it made spell casting more central to the game it wasn't just you know attack spells or 
a defense spell. There was this whole other dimension. And, uh, and so anyway, it just these, these were some of the ideas that came out early on and just grabbed people and captivated them. And, you know, across the years, so many people have told me, man, I spent so many hours playing your game. And, uh, you know, which I love that because I wrote a game that I wanted to play. That, that's where the game came from. That was my inspiration. I thought, what would, what would be fun for me? And then it just, you know, these ideas resonate. That's amazing. So I was reading a little bit more about your history and it seems like you were developing for a while. Then you kind of took a brief hiatus and you went and pursued some more academic um, things. And then it seems like you kind of came back. Can you just tell us a story of what was the impetus for that uh, departure and then re-entry? Yeah, I had a, um, I just had a moment there in my life where I had been doing game development for a while and I, I, I loved school and I thought, you know, I had, I made a bunch of money and I thought, you know, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to do some degrees and uh, do some research, do some writing. And this was just, uh, I had a lot of things I was interested in at the time. I hadn't finished school uh, from Berkeley, I ended up transferring my units down and getting into a philosophy program. Uh, down uh, in at UC Irvine. And, uh, and anyway, so it was just for me, it was just more personal fulfillment. At, at the same time, I was still doing development, only I was doing the kind of development that made it easy that, uh, to, to integrate with that kind of a uh, schedule. So I was doing a lot of just contract software development. I did some, uh, some uh, pieces of some different kinds of uh, um, cartridge game products and some console products at the time. And then I ended up getting into corporate software development and uh, done a ton of stuff in web application development. So I've done that over the years. I, there's really been very little time that I haven't been doing some kind of coding, but uh, yeah, but that was, that it made it difficult. I, I, got, I got an offer to be, uh, I've gotten a couple offers to be part of the game development in, in the time after that, but I just, I wanted the flexibility to kind of explore life a little bit. And uh, I did do that and then you know, ultimately, I've, I've been looking for a re-entry uh, back into game development. I've had a game kick, kicking around in my head for a long time now. And, um, and, that's, and that's why I'm, I'm aligning it with uh, this new revolution in, in NFTs and, and the crypto gaming space. So I absolutely want to talk about your new project. I want to, I want to bridge us there first, though. Clearly, you're integrated in the gaming industry. And you went and you pursued some academia. And then it seems like you kind of had this idea that was kind of bubbling up. But at some point, you had to have gotten exposed to crypto and the blockchain and all the beauty that that is. And so how did you get introduced to this world? And when did the, when did the light bulb click of like, oh, this is where this is where gaming's going. Like this is the future. Yeah, I've been I've been watching the crypto gaming thing and and just kind of keeping an eye on crypto for it started maybe about a year ago, and uh, but I, I I frankly wasn't seeing the potential in it until just like late this last summer, when all of a sudden because I'm looking at you know kind of play to earn models and thinking about that's really interesting. You know how would I how would I integrate that into the core of a game? Not as like an appendage later on, but like 
build a game that was really fun to play that that had that sort of seamlessly integrated into it. So just like kind of a thought of experiment. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, something, some stuff clicked. I, I engaged with some, some people that were in this space and uh, talking about NFTs. And then all of a sudden, man, it, everything clicked for me. And uh, the, the idea of decentralization is a huge thing for me. The idea of big entities dominating uh, ideas is not a happy idea for me because I believe real creativity comes out in, in small units. Uh, and I believe the metaverse is, is going to be, you know, rolled out that way, not by one company, but by a lots of people that are invested into the future. And, and so this idea all of a sudden of being able to get people who are invested into the game, who are excited about the game, who are profiting as the game develops, this idea all of a sudden it just clicked for me. It's better than crowdfunding. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a community that's already looking for the future. So when I when I started thinking about it and understanding NFTs, because it took a while for, for the concept to make sense to me, like I'm like, why are people doing this? All of a sudden everything clicked and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of, of this game concept that I've had a long time. I can I can see it completely coming out of this. So so for me, it's been like about a year just uh, uh, watching crypto gaming as a whole and trying to figure out, hmm, you know, how could I maybe be part of that? And then really just the last few months thinking, I, I know how to do this now. So. And what was the, I mean, I, I know you mentioned speaking with different people and you've been paying attention to it, but like, was there one thing that you saw that just kind of tipped you over the edge? Like, like, like the light bulb came on. Was there one specific thing or was it just kind of like a, a, an epiphany that just struck you kind of as a culmination of everything? It, it was an epiphany that came from absorbing and looking at a bunch of NFT projects and how some of those were being bridged into some gaming. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I just, I, I, a model formed in my mind for how to do it. I'm thinking I, I create avatars that people can use and per, to participate in the game, avatars that you want to be. Um, complex art, not cartoon art, but like kind of a completely different animal but something that like bridges directly into a game concept a concept so i it was like it was it was like a kind of a web of insight and research and thinking and i i just it coalesced so there was yeah there was no one specific product or game or anything like that it was it was more um yeah everything that's the best way i can explain it that's awesome i love those moments like because it feels like in one second everything you've ever done aligns perfectly into one thing. And you're just like, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment. Uh, that's one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, it hits you, you got it, you saw the model. Um, I don't know how much you can share or you feel comfortable sharing, but whatever that is, let's go there. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I, I can share a little bit. Uh, so the the NFT project, the way I, I teamed up with some people and the, the way uh, people that have, you know, expertise in marketing and things that I'm um, not as savvy in uh, and came up with a with a plan to bootstrap uh, video game development. Uh, I had the concept, I was able to put together a very fleshed out concept and integrate it with the with the idea of NFTs. 
um, the idea of kind of a, a, a participation that is in some way related to either NFT ownership or an extension of the ownership of NFTs. And, uh, and so there's going to be a way for people to participate. You have to be connected to an NFT, either by owning one or by um, uh, there are ways for people that own NFTs to make it possible for other people to, to sort of um, check out their wizard and use them in the game. So it's, it's an opportunity for people to get in and get invested and sort of be part of the gaming process and part of bringing people into the game. The NFTs are, are uh, so it's the concept, I'll just tell you, it's a first person concept. It's an immersive concept. Um, it's not initially going to be a VR concept. It's going to be a concept, though, that translates really well, uh, would transfer, translate really well into VR. So there's a possibility of some later uh, adaptation of the game uh, so that this is something that could extend into the metaverse as time goes on. Um, certainly, that would be, you know, what the ultimate objective would, of this would be. But, but, the, but the experience is a 3D first person's perspective, and it's an active spellcasting. It's all about spellcasting. So kind of my favorite part of uh, fantasy role-playing, that's what this is, is going to be about. The, the project is 10,000 wizards. There, there are seven avatar types, base types, and uh, there are going to be 10,000 unique, uh, artistically and statistically unique wizards that are uh, your ticket into the game. And... Um, We've got a you know website and we've been promoting this and uh, and our our goal is to launch that in in early January. Uh, at this point, I think that's that's going to be viable for us as long as we're ex uh, happy with the the community involvement. At that point, that's 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 our plan and that's going to bootstrap the development of this. So we've already got stage two and stage three plans for rolling out and getting to later in 2022, getting to a. Uh, alpha version of the game, getting something up for people because I want to give the community something uh, in a relatively short time that they so they can see, um, but that ultimately you know come out with a full fledged game that's really you know extensive and incredible, and then maybe some plans to do some uh, expansions to that down the line in connection with some other NFT projects. That's awesome! I can't <laughs> wait to see what, uh, what what gets released. So. Maybe you could take me through being like one of the pioneers in, in the video game industry and now, and you know, building games then and building games now, what's the difference? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, uh, it was completely different. It was, you know, when I did Bard's Tale, when I did everything, I, I came up with the game design. I did the coding. It was, you know, 6502 assembly language. I did the graphics. Um, I came up with everything. Uh, I had to write my own little program to draw, you know, the little cartoon graphics, which, you know, were all pixelated and everything. Really very similar to a lot of uh, big art selling right now on in the NFT space. But, but that's what I had back in the day. And uh, you were able to do almost everything, you know, e even when uh, there was there, uh, I came into a development group after after I built the pro prototype and there was feedback, you know, still it was Bartel one was was except for the background music that was that was playing uh, that required uh, somebody who could you know compose music uh, uh, apart from that uh, the entire um, the entire effort was me and that's just unheard of today you know in a game production you just don't one person could not possibly either have the skill set or the bandwidth to produce something like that so it, it became increasingly into the 90s something that you needed kind of like a movie studio you know where 
you had a lot of different players who were contributing different parts. As graphics became more complex, you needed real artists to be able to put the graphics together. Um, you know, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, very different, very different from uh, how it started, which was, you know, very much, it was more like a rock star kind of uh, phenomenon where there were people who were sort of prodigies and they were designers and programmers, creative people. Uh, uh, it, it, there weren't like, it, it wasn't a big team back then. And, and we were promoted that way. Yeah, Electronic Arts promoted us like rock stars. You know, we had our pictures in the game and, you know, it was it was really kind of like like that way. So I had a real following back in the day and I'd go in and do signings of games, you know, and people would line up because it because it was it was almost always a central personality that was in a game. <laughs> Very That's different awesome. than today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about um, and kind of jump out and, and uh, go towards more of a macro discussion now of why is this decentralization and the innovation in small parts incremental improvement? Like, why is that so important to you? And how did you actually come to that, come to hold that philosophy? Uh, I think I've always, uh, as a creative person and not just a coder, as a creative person, I've always felt like um, I want my ideas to live and I have great ideas and they're not necessarily, you know, I've, I've worked at companies uh, back before Bard's Tale, I worked for a company that it was dominated by a bunch of people that were suits. I remember writing one uh, early cartridge version for, I think it was the Commodore 64, a game called Maze Master, very primitive fantasy role-playing. It was kind of the prototype that ultimately became, um, that ultimately became uh, Bard's Tale. And I did this game and I, I was at, I was at uh, CES and I, I was standing there in the booth and someone walked up and expressed interest in my game. They don't know I'm the developer. I'm standing six feet away watching this as somebody who's a buyer for some, you know, computer store chain or something. And this, I, the salesperson steered them away from my game to a different game. And, uh, and I, I'm just really, a lot of people don't get the vision, especially on the corporate level. Uh, you know, attorneys and some of these people that some of them just don't get it and they they don't understand what's good when it's right in front of them. So I, I, I like the idea of, you know, come going directly to the people and having the people decide what's good and what's fun. I, I just think that's the way instead of a top down kind of a bottom up. And the crypto space for me is like that. It's decentralized. Uh, there's wealth being created by innovators. It's shared. P different people have the opportunity to jump on projects and, and things that they're excited about. There's uh, endless possibilities. Uh, and, and I think that kind of, I think that leads to creativity. And I think that's the exact kind of, that's the community and the kind of mentality I want behind the game. And, and, and I, I want feedback from the people as, as, as the game's rolling out and as the concept's developing, I want a community behind it. I don't want just a corporate structure telling me how it is. I, I just think that's, that's, that's gonna lead us to the same phenomenon we see in Hollywood today. There are so many bad movies and it's because it's top-down controlled almost entirely. And, and I think that's just that mm, squelches creativity. I think there are a lot of brilliant and creative people out there that have great ideas, but you know, because it, because they can't, because it's not top down controlled, you know, they're never, they're not, those ideas won't see life, but the crypto space and crypto gaming makes that a possibility. So as you have witnessed 
the birth of video games and 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 now the evolution towards today and you've recently started st- i say recently it, it started studying crypto and putting those two t- things together and i realize there's more than two things but for the sake of expedition moving forward what's the future here like what do you see as being like what what's happening in the future where are we going yeah well we're heading toward you know the metaverse we're heading toward an immersive digital virtual space that is going to tie together many elements of gaming and commerce online commerce and all sorts of things like the 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 next dimension of the internet is going to be more experiential and i and we're heading toward that so just like before i think gaming is going to be at the forefront because gaming is you know, in, in many cases is virtual and is uh, immersive, you know, and I think I think VR is the future of gaming and I think immersive environments are the future of gaming. I, I hate to say that to a lot of retro gamers who love platform games. That stuff's always going to be around, but but the people want the experience of being in the game, in a movie, in, you know, an environment. And I think everything is is going to continue heading that way. It's been heading that way since the 80s. It's still going that way. And I I think that uh, we'll see, you know, important aspects of the metaverse roll out here in the next 20 years. And, uh, you know, I'm excited because gaming is going to be at the forefront of that. I love what you said earlier about how gaming is kind of the front runner that everything else hooks onto and gets dragged with it in, in a good way, like it's brought up with that. I kind of see a future where people get in through gaming and then everything just happens in the metaverse where literally everything around us in the physical world is recreated and then expanded on in the metaverse. And it no longer just becomes games, but it becomes civilization. And I really see that as humanity's end game. Do you share that same view? And is that a good thing? Uh, I believe that the trajectory of technology, okay, I'm saying this as a philosopher, I think the trajectory of technology is heading toward the metaverse, has been heading toward the metaverse, a virtual, uh, a virtual reality space for, from the beginning. Um, I, I could elaborate on that, but I'm not going to uh, waste everybody's time, but I believe it's a natural extension of what we all want, the metaverse. Wait a second, wait a second. Can you build that argument? I, I, I can't, I can, but um, let me just say, I believe that people want to be powerful and immortal, and the metaverse helps us realize that. Just like a lot of games, playing World of Warcraft helps you realize these goals, being powerful and immortal. Like, I think the metaverse promises that in a way that World of Warcraft can't touch on. Uh, the, the metaverse is gonna be easy. It's gonna be accessible to everyone. Everyone's gonna have this ability to enter into this new space and have this sense. And, and that's what we deliver to people in a virtual environment, in virtual games, um, that sense. And people want that. They want to extend themselves. They don't want to be limited. It, it, it's, a, it's a world that eliminates our limitations, which are inherent in, in the you know, normal world. So I, I think it's been heading that way. I think that's the trajectory of technology. I think it's going to. I don't think it's it can be stopped. I don't think it will be stopped. If some there are there going to be negative aspects of this, no doubt. Um, when you erase limits. 
there's always a danger in that, but then there's always possibility. But I, I think it's not, it's not stoppable. We're headed that way. And, uh, and gaming is, is, again, people are, gamers already experience that. It's one of the most addictive parts of gaming. But now this is going to open up and it's going to be all areas of life as everything ultimately moves into the metaverse, which, which it will. I mean, I'll, almost there will be real space, but I mean, you're going to, people's daily business, work, banking, shopping, everything is ultimately going to be virtual. There's just not going to be a reason to have to go places to do certain things. But some things, yes, but not most things. So, so it's going that way. Um, I, 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 I like it, and I, and but there are probably dangers, and I'm, I haven't thought enough about it to outline to you what the dangers are at this moment. But um, clearly. If you can change the rules of reality, you can change values. So if the metaverse were misused, it could be misused to create an alternate reality that has that's based on values that are not necessarily the best values, but they're they make sense in that reality. So you can have a game where you're a serial killer, right? And that's not a good thing, but you could make it so you're rewarded for being that person. And, and if the if the metaverse, the metaverse could do the same thing, it could push different values on us. I pick something crazy like that, just, just to make a point, which is that it, it does have the ability to influence us in the way we think. So if that's misused, it could be a bad thing. So do you think there should be like standards or regulations more from like in I hate to use this word, but like an ethical moral perspective, but then it's like, well, okay, well, who defines what's ethical and moral? And, you know, like, it's a very, it's a very, very difficult topic to even broach, but I mean, we got to broach it. Cause if we don't, then. I, yeah. I don't, you know. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think that there that probably there will be aspects of the metaverse that are, that will like our current, you know, rating systems will apply to areas of the metaverse, be careful now, or, you know, you're moving into a mature area or whatever, there'll be things like that. Mm. Um, but, uh, and so that's probably a good thing, at least to keep people aware that there are spaces, if you don't want to go into certain kinds of spaces, you don't have to, uh, and maybe blocking minors or whatever from getting into those spaces. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, people, the whole promise of the metaverse is no limits. So unrestricted. Unrestricted. Yeah. So I think, I think people are just going to be using their their own you know moral reason to uh, insert themselves into places that they feel are good for themselves and and hopefully avoid places that are bad for themselves. But just you know it's it's like how it is in life and we're we're bombarded by content today. A lot of that's unhealthy content and um, you know one approach is to censor it, but you can't censor it. You know it, there's too many ways around the censorship. So uh, so even if that were like the right call, it's not feasible. I, so I, th I think it's going to be the same in the metaverse as, as this rolls out. That's my it, suspicion. If not amplified because of the, the greater power that we're going to have there. The greater power. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, and I know we're, uh, you know, we're, we're getting close to time here. Um, but for people who are like, they're aware of the metaverse they may be just kind of dipping their toes in, but they want to be a part of it either as a game maker, as a gamer, as an investor, or somebody who just wants to know things. How do we get our feet in without, you know, and I'm thinking more along the lines of like an investor, like how do we get into it and we be a part of this revolution 
without getting wrecked on spawn? Yeah, I think that uh, I think the crypto space is at the forefront of all of this. It's uh, I, because I think the concept of the metaverse uh, is um, is going to is going to be strongly tied to cryptocurrency. So I think that getting a little bit getting your toes wet in this space is a really smart idea for everyone because i think a vast majority of people out there still have no sense about what's happening and i think they're going to be caught unaware and they're going to sort of miss this initial time where there's actually a lot of money to be made so i think getting a little bit into that space maybe looking into some of the uh, crypto gaming a little bit and if you're a gamer looking into some crypto gaming getting into the space maybe making some you know, some very minor uh, investments, very careful minor investments into this space is just, just so you understand what's happening. I think that's probably a smart idea for everyone because this is, this is a tidal wave that's coming and uh, whatever, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there, but it's it, the decentralized aspects of it are, are, um, are important and compelling and potentially profitable. And I think that everyone should should have some exposure to it. So I think being part of that community and the people that are already in that space are the people that are looking ahead the hardest right now to the metaverse and the possibilities of that, which are going to integrate commerce together with you know, a virtual space. So I think, I think it's a natural place to get in if you're interested in all this. That's what I'd recommend for, for anyone. So that was kind of like this end of the spectrum, like the newbie end of the spectrum. For those who want to be supreme, you know, titans of the metaverse, like what do we need to be doing? What do we need to be looking at? How do we need to be approaching this thing? I, I joined some communities. There's, there's some really amazing communities out there that are centered on NFT projects and on uh, games, just generally speaking, getting into like some, some communities like that, finding out what's going on, how can I participate? Uh, how can I, you know, be part of the next launch or whatever? I, I think that's that's a smart thing to do. These are the people that know the most about it. So I, I think beyond just doing some research of your own, uh, finding a community to fit into uh, is going to give you the best opportunity to to you know invest maybe or or at least um, be in discussion to try to see what's what the next big thing is. I, I can't tell you what the next big thing is. I like, there's so many new things that are rolling out by everyone. There are big companies now that are talking about entering this space um but i don't think this is a phenomenon that's going to be controlled by by big any big comp any one big company that you know everyone will jump into it but ultimately i think this is going to be controlled by smaller units who have invested early and i think there are opportunities out there so i get into the space i get into crypto twitter i'd start you know uh looking around and figuring out and seeing, you know, what the opportunities are, because I think there are many. Love it. Well, Dr. Michael, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show, sharing your time. Uh, last question for you here. Uh, what questions should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Hmm. You should ask me uh, how to find my project, which is uh, wisewands.com. So the project's called Wisewands. If you go to wisewands.com, uh, there's a lot of information about it. We're launching in January and uh, love to have people that are excited about getting into this space and what the future is going to hold. Love to have you come join our discord, follow, follow us on Twitter. And uh, there's a ton of information on the website. You can get a good picture for where we're headed. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Everybody who's watching and listening. Thank you all very much. I love y'all. Y'all the best uh, game on See y'all on the next episode. Bye.
thank you so, so, so much for checking out this episode of the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. Now, this revolution of crypto gaming, blockchain gaming, and the metaverse, it's not going to happen by itself. We all need to participate. And the best way to do that is to get involved with the community, is to help spread the word about crypto gaming, blockchain gaming, and the metaverse. And the best way to do that for this show is to follow us on Twitter, is to review this podcast on all of your favorite podcasting platforms and is to reach out to me directly. You can reach me on LinkedIn. You can reach me on Twitter and let's talk about it. Tag me and stuff. Use hashtag Crypto Gaming Institute. If you want to get retweeted and shouted out, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and just engage, engage, engage. Let yourself be seen by myself, by the community, and together we can bring this crypto gaming revolution to the mainstream world.